Hey Kyle, this is Alton from Boulder, Colorado. I'm currently up in Rocky Mountain National Park right now at Hidden Valley, a small ghost town ski resort, getting my first backcountry day of the year in, uh, hoping to hit 50 days this year, which would be great. Um, your podcast has really kept me company uh, many long days in the mountains. And oftentimes I'm left with a lot of uh, things to think about from the conversations that you have. And fortunately, long days in the mountains tend to lend themselves to lots of time thinking. So thank you for everything that you do. Keep up the good work and hope to meet you one of these days. Talk soon. Hey, Alton. Great to hear from you. Glad you're here. You're spending some time out in nature. Something I'm looking forward to doing quite a bit coming into uh, this winter and spring here. I've got a few uh, bow hunting trips that I'm planning uh, and just really look forward to getting some more time out there, man, whether you're hunting or hiking. Um, a lot of those great life epiphanies happen when you're out in a, uh, a place with no roads. There's something about just uh, being in... The, the wilderness that gives us a an honest reflection of ourselves and something about also I think just seeing for me it's seeing nature grow and die offers some uh, solace in just the arc of life and death and feeling more okay with it you know we live in a world where people are injecting themselves with needles to try and look young forever and uh something kind of cool about seeing a plant wither away and die boy guys i just took this way down i'm sorry um hope you're all having a great day uh i am down here in los angeles i'm gonna go see some comedy tonight i'm about a week out from giving birth to the motherfucker awards uh and I hope to see you all there. Um, please introduce yourself if you do come to the show. Uh, would love to meet you. December 3rd, Los Angeles. We've booked all the comedians, booked all the presenters. We've got guys like Kelly Slater, Lawrence Lessig, Kaj Larson, Abby Martin. Oh, and all presenting the awards. And then we've got uh, some very funny comedians as well. Um, so I won't get into all the details right now. But go to MotherfuckerAwards.com and get your ticket before they're all gone. They are almost gone. So get them now. This episode of the podcast is with Terry Campion. Terry is the host of the Off the Lip radio show. He is the owner of the Santa Cruz boardroom and is a shining light in the Santa Cruz surf skate community. He's also, um, he was a journalist in the surf skate world. So he has a, a lot of deep and interesting perspectives about, uh, about Santa Cruz surf skate history um, and who those important people were, how those trends changed, and uh, we just had a blast. He's he's a very good podcaster, um, and we ended up just going for a while. But I love the dude, um, and I was surprised that I hadn't got him on my podcast before. So um, I see him actually at, at Hot Yoga whenever I go there, and we're always like, hey, man, you got a podcast? I got a podcast. We should do something. Uh, and I'm happy that we finally did. Thank you very much to Edwin for donating to the podcast on Patreon this week. Thank you very much, man. Uh, this podcast is supported by listeners like you, so I dig it. Um, every dollar counts to help us keep 
these episodes coming at you every single week. And thank you also to Santa Cruz Medicinals for having our back from day one. Brendan Rue, you're the man. Uh, Santa Cruz Medicinals make, makes potent CBD products, and they sponsor each and every one of these podcasts. So you can go to scmedicinals.com, type in the code name KYLE10, and get 10% off any CBD products. Um, CBD is really helping me sleep. I've been stressing out uh, <laughs> getting ready for the MOFAs, and CBD does a lot to just mellow me out, especially if I've had a hard day of working out. It's good for inflammation, and um, it's part of my evening wind-down regimen. I use their mint tincture before I go to bed. So head over to scmedicinals.com, type in the code name KYLE10, get 10% off any products. And with that, I hope to see you all at the show. This will probably be the last episode I uh, put out before December 3rd. Um, So I'll see you in person, hopefully. And with that, please welcome to the show, Terry Campion. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Congressman. Congressman. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Jimmy Panetta was on two weeks ago, and uh, he's been on the show a couple times, which has been good. So, a lot of music. Oh, cool. So, so you have a music theme to the show. And- music, and then the the surf and skate. Like Emmanuel Guzman's on next week, and he's starting a. a a skateboarding um, high school thing okay. here in Santa Cruz. What is that? Um, he's working with the Office of Education, and it's, it's still on the planning stage, but he's going to get skateboarding in uh, in school. And, um, so you can and, get a PE credit for it. Yeah, and then the, and then not only that, but um, he wants to, uh, when you become a part of this, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm speaking ahead of our, uh, the program. Oh, yeah. yeah but he wants to, he wants to uh, have kids be able to intern uh, through the program to learn trades whether it's screen printing or it could be retail experience and i'm signing on the santa cruz boardroom as we're going to take on an intern through the program each time and uh hopefully that kid can create some job skills and put another kid into the workforce right and mentor too and so then there'll be somebody that will do like uh video editing if somebody's interested in doing video stuff they can intern somewhere they're screen printing i know bro prints downtown is going to take on an intern and um and there's Agreed to help out. Yeah. So pretty exciting stuff. So anyway, so getting back to the show, another guest of the show next week, Emmanuel Guzman, to talk about that. E-Man. Yeah. yeah, he's one of the best skaters to ever come out of Santa Cruz. 15 years pro for Santa Cruz Skateboards this year. He just had a, a model come out to, to commemorate that, and uh, that's amazing. Um, you know, Eric Dressen, there's a few people that have had, you know, Keith Meek, that have had long careers, and wow, he's one of them. Jason Jesse, it's, it's a long list. And, right. Royalty, in my opinion, and uh, Eman's still a real cool guy too. He used to come over to our house when I was a grom, and we had that six foot ramp in our backyard, seven right. foot extension, thirty feet wide, and it was like Eman's coming over. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! And he would blow up, and I saw him just a couple, uh, maybe less than a year ago, and he was still super cool, down to earth. Absolutely, one of the nicest guys. And uh, I always, one of the things I always love about Emmanuel is uh, he openly talks about his love of his mom. Huh. You know, and, and I feel like when people do that, 
it's a it's a, it's a rad trait. Yeah, you it know, says, it's, it's different. Right, it says something about you. It's like um, I, I, I it's like a, a level of comfortability within yourself. Absolutely, right? and he does that. And then he also will. I, he, what I like about it is he's one of those guys that will talk to a an eight year old mm. and talk to him, not like give him knuckles, but actually stop and talk and say how and you so, doing. Yeah, Manuel's a good guy, and I'm proud of his success. Bought a house here in town from skateboarding. Has a family now. Has a son. How are most uh, pro skaters making their money? Like him? Is he? Is it from uh, sponsorships? Indoors. The, the, the big guys now are um, making their money for actually probably outside, you know, getting in the energy drink business. You know, there's like other areas. Red Bulls and Targets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's that's for the guys who are um, in the upper incomes. But for um, a, a mid-level level pro today, uh, footwear would be the goal, hmm. you know, and uh, deck sales and having an honest company right. that you're endorsed by. You know, I have, I have personal friends who currently at this very moment are under contract and being professional skateboarders and not getting paid because they're getting the runaround, which is a classic, very common. Oh, yeah. classic industry hey. thing, you know? And it's like the the handshake and high five. Knuckles, and bro. We'll yeah. get it to you. Right. Don't worry. Contract's yeah. coming. Oh, and you yeah. hear every excuse. I just broke up with my girlfriend. You know, I'm relocating the warehouse. Uh, you know, you don't know what I'm going through. Yeah. You hear this stuff. So Yeah, it's a very uh, surf skate Thing. You don't get that in a lot of other industries. Uh, and, 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 and the legends. You know, like you, you look at a, a guy like Christian Asoy who's been not, burned m- multiple times, you know, and in my opinion, that's the pinnacle of the industry getting burned, you know, and so it's, it's tough when you sign agreements and people file bankruptcy on you and stuff. Well, especially stuff. if you're a young kid coming up as a pro skater or pro surfer, let's say you're 16, 17 years old and a company's offering to pay you. You're thinking, wow! I've been doing this my whole life for fun, and now right. a company's going to pay me eight hundred dollars a month. What? This right. is amazing! Well, you guys are giving me all this stuff, and you don't look at it from the other perspective, which is this is a company that needs content, and you are massively valuable to them. And for most of those people, you know, it's it's uh, they don't know how to negotiate those kinds of contracts. Absolutely, that's it's, it's the classic scenario of a new rock band. Signing a first terrible contract, then that first album they get completely hosed on, get no royalties, have no ownership, and then you learn your second time, you start producing your own stuff. It's the same thing with athletes. Mm. One or two mistakes, hopefully, with the right people, you're going to figure it out. Yeah, I was. Uh, I had Mark Healy on this podcast, and I was talking to him about contracts, and he was saying that, that he's had you know a similar experience where you just got to learn the hard way through contracts. And I was like, well, what do you do now? And he, Start knocking on doors. You know, mm-hmm. when it's coming around to, you know, the end of the year, you start knocking on doors, say, Hey, are we gonna do this or not? Because the the classic industry thing is they'll wait until the eleventh hour and then say, Oh, the budget's got cut, sorry. But then you have no as the athlete have no time to then start searching for other sponsors. For sure. They're yeah. not answering the phone call. They're not right. replying to the emails. And then when they do, they're like, Oh, budget. Yeah. No budget. You've you've been uh, someone who has been in the Santa Cruz community for a long time, and you've gotten you've, you've had a chance to be alongside a lot a lot of these young skaters coming up, and kind of mentor them and help them along on their path. And we were talking just right before we went on about how, in that time period of you know fourteen to nineteen years old, there's some real pivotal 
decisions that people get made that you know can can turn you into someone who's a, a legend pro skater or all too often um, someone who gets addicted to drugs and you know spirals out of control. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. Um, skateboarding is it's tough. You know, you get these kids are fifteen years old and they have this amazing ability. And they have to jump in a van with a bunch of twenty-five-year-old dudes that are just have the cigarette hanging out the side, yeah. and they got ink on them. And as a parent, you're just like, <laughs> "What is my son doing? <laughs> oh my gosh! Good luck, man. I hope you come back." It's hard, and so it's almost um, if 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 you can can see can succeed in that environment, you could do anything. You could be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company if you could be 15 years old and get tossed into a, a up, upcoming sponsored skateboarder and get into the van and travel to the Northwest when there's 16 cases of beer in the back and who knows if there's a chicken and so who knows what's in the van and to survive that and not take the wrong path yeah because we've seen it all you know we, you you know too you've been around long enough I've seen the most incredible um, blessed graceful skilled board riders fall from grace. Yeah. Uh, have you seen a movie called Mid-90s that came out recently? You know, I, I I wanted to see it. We were Actually, I wanted to premiere it. I didn't. I have not seen it. You should check it I out. I know. It's, it's a great snapshot into my childhood. Yeah. And it's about these skater kids um, and a few of those little decisions that they make that have massive consequences in their lives. And they just nail the dialogue and how it all goes down. And there's this one scene in it where... Um, the kids are just talking about trying, and and one of the kids is like, "Fuck that trying shit. That shit's gay, man. I'm just gonna cruise, do my thing." And then the other kid, they're, they're both talented skaters, and the other one's like, "Yeah, I guess I'm gonna do that gay shit and start trying." Right. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be earnest about this. I'm not gonna pretend like it doesn't matter, and I am gonna do my best." Um, and I I think that you know, growing up, I remember just that idea of wanting wanting to do your best and not being worried about how it looks and whether or not it's cool or not um that makes a difference i think for yeah. a lot of people i and not waiting for the phone to ring right you know i feel like that's such a mistake so many people make on their ability and being able to slide sideways or you know be being in this industry is you gotta hustle it's it, the, nothing is easy and nothing is going to be given to you. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think, the biggest mistake people make. And, you know, as we talked about this a little earlier. You know, I remember there's a pro snowboarder named Jim Rippey. He's always my example of that pie thing I was telling you about. Is What's that, the pie thing? The pie is, I have this, uh, when it comes to an, uh, a board rider and you want to be professional, it's a pie and it's sliced into, I always say three slices. One is your ability. It's how good you are at snowboarding, surfing, skateboarding, how good you are. And if you're at the cream, that's awesome. You have the potential to become an athlete. And the other one is your hustle and your drive and your communication skills and, and being able to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and to meet a photographer and to plan and strategize about uh, the, what, you're, what colors you're going to have on because you know the ad campaign's coming out. That's the hustle factor. And then the other one is having the look. So when you do wear those colors, it looks like something that maybe <laughs> yeah. kids are going to trend over, you know, like right. it's, if it looks dumb, it's just, then you're not as anti-marketing. So if you have all those pieces, then only you're, you're, only you can fuck it up. Right. You have it. 
and uh, and so and a lot of people only have one, and some can some people can succeed with one because the, their ability is just over the top. Yeah, but it's so rare. Jim Rippey had all three of those as a snowboarder. You know, and that was during the standard film era in the two thousand early two thousands, and and to my you know it's and there are a lot of people who do that. You know, I, I figured I'd give Nat Young that credit here in Santa Cruz. Yep. You know, he hustles. Um, he, you know, he turned into a strapping blonde dude with the hot girlfriend, you know, and, and he, uh, he, he tries super hard and he has the ability. Yep. Um, do you think that, uh, the, you know, I, I like how you put it in as far as just telling kids that, Hey, you're selling something. I think that just that idea of, wow, okay, I'm wearing this t-shirt and people are watching me surf, skate, snowboard and the reason that this company might be paying me is because um, someone, some kid might want to buy it from me. Um, now, when I was growing up, uh, some of my favorite skaters were, you know, the guys who were in the 411 video magazines. And I had these VHS videos that would come into my house. I put it in. It was you know, Bam Margera and it was... Um, Steve Caballero was like, man, who, who are the oh, Lance, like Lance Mountain? Lance, Lance Mountain. Lance Mountain was right. a good example of someone who was always he would always host those videos. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this guy's super cool. And I would get these videos, and th- those uh, would indoctrinate me into you know thinking that certain brands were cool and certain people were cool. And, and nowadays. Um, I mean, you're more in it than I am. How has that changed? You know, do you think that now it's just all about Instagram clips that get put up, or how do you see the kind of molding of of young kids' minds and um, influence? I think it got ruined. Hmm. I think the internet made you forget to look at what's in your backyard. Hmm. You know, it's it's it used to be like you had local heroes. Those were your heroes. Yeah, and then. Um, uh, there, you know, lo and behold, a, a video would come to town, and we'd line up around the Civic, and bring frisbees and sneak weed in there, and and have this like fiesta inside the Civic, and and cheer for a video. And it's now it's just all so instant, you know. Right. It's my my employees. I cannot get those kids off their phone. Like I, just, it's just insane. And we didn't have that, you know, growing up here in town. It was all we don't even have a cell phone. You know, you, you had, if you wanted inspiration, yeah. you looked out in the ocean and saw who was ripping right at your doorstep. You weren't online seeing who's ripping somewhere else. Yeah, and you're also seeing guys who are surfing your waves or skating that spot that right. you're going to then go to tomorrow. So it's, it is more relatable in that way. Yeah. Um, you have some kind of genuine connection. But it did change with the internet because then you're put in a different pool where all of a sudden you are putting your clip up on Instagram and you're competing with every other surfer in the world who are, who's putting their clips up on Instagram. Um, and it's, and my generation really was like the last local pro generation, yeah. really. I mm-hmm. mean, that, I mean, all the guys above me in Santa Cruz, you know, it was flea, Barney, rat boy, Adam Rapogel, like all these Pete Mel, like guys who are making real, you know, solid money and buying houses as local professional surfers. Um, Nat Young's the only one out of my generation that actually made it full time as a professional surfer. Right, and and and, and you know he's rebounding right now. Yeah, but there was a while there I was like, wow, maybe Nat's uh, on the way on his way out. Yeah, you know I'm I'm happy to see him not doing that, and uh, hopefully he'll continue to you know qualify and, and have, be successful. But it's it's crazy to see how diluted 
um, social media, how diluted the industry became. Yeah. With like this little rippers, you know, especially with skateboarding. My gosh, there's like nine year olds now that are just, you know, if we have 14 year olds in the Olympics and stuff, it's crazy. Yeah. I saw an Instagram video of some of a ten year old doing a nine hundred the other day. I doesn't. I'm sure. What the fuck? Yeah, I, no. I, I'm like that far removed from it. Like I, right. you know, I grew up skating, but definitely did not pursue that. You know, and so I'm not uh, nearly as in that world as I am in surfing. And I was just clicking on Instagram through the explore video. And I was like, ten year old does a nine hundred. Like, man, I remember right. back when Tony Hawk was doing that. I was stuff. there. <laughs> like when I saw Tony Hawk do that. You were, at, I you was, were there. I was there, yeah. I worked for DC Shoes then, and they were a sponsor of the X Games, and we went. I saw Pastrana put his bike into the bay. Um, but it, I thought I saw like the first man on the moon. <laughs> yeah. And that's the way the that's the way the crowd treated it. Dave Duncan was up there and he kept talking. He was calling Tony a pussy and stuff, like, get back up there and do it. He was all battered. He he had tried like 20 times. Wow. That's what people don't know about the 900, is he was just blattering himself on the like destroying himself. And Dave Duncan, bless his heart, who is that? He was the announcer for World Cup skateboarding. Was up on the deck with his microphone, and he was not going to let Tony not do the nine hundred. Really? Yeah, he was and, on and, his microphone. Saying, and if you know Dave Duncan, and anyone listening to this who does knows that that's his. That's what he does. Right. He makes people do dumb stuff. <laughs> and so Tony kept doing it. When he landed at the crowd, I mean, it was insane. Every single person's arms went over their head. I'm dead serious. Like it was. It was the most, the, the energy of an event was uh, all time. And because he kept trying, you oh. know, and so it was really amazing. Yeah. So powerful, man. That, yeah. is, that is one thing I really miss about, uh, about skateboarding is a genuine desire to see someone else pull it off. Yeah. You don't get that in surfing. Surfing, it's, right. you know, maybe someone from, the, they take off on the wave and then their arms over their head and you're like, shit, did they get a barrel? Damn it, I wish I would have got that wave. Because there's, like, there's a yeah. supply and demand issue in surfing that you don't have in skateboarding. I think we're going to see it like it's some of these, you know, I just feel like we're, we're in this new reality of these ranch wave contests, mm. you know? And when, when, when this is a consistent and predictable wave, we're going to see someone do like three backflips or something. It's just, just going to be something yeah. insane, and it will happen, you yeah. know, because next generation. It'll be from Brazil. The ten-year-old do is doing the nine hundred. Yeah, some yeah. Brazilian, you know, is going to have something. Come, he's going to pull something out that's going to blow minds. Yeah, and he'll try. And Dave, the Dave Duncan of surfing, is going to be there and talk him into it because you can do that in this new setup that they have with these ranch waves. Yeah. So tell me a little bit uh, about your uh, growing up here. Um, I mean, you've taken a, a unique approach in that you know, you're um, you own a skate shop and you've really shepherded along a lot of these younger guys. Um, was there a point when you wanted to be a pro, uh, or just tell me a little bit about how? Your your thing came to be my thing. Okay, yeah. well I'll, I'll do a, a, a short version. Sure. Um, I'm the youngest of five boys, uh, six kids, one sister. Um, I, I was born in San Francisco and grew up surfing up in that area. Um, I moved to Santa Cruz in 1983. I, I had a couple in, in my high school. Um, there was a guy who moved from Hawaii and a guy who moved from San Pedro, surfers. And the guy from Hawaii got a, in an accident with a keg in the trunk. He was drunk and he ran. Smashed cars, got big wreck. But he ran, hit and run. Well, he ran all the way to Santa Cruz with a surfboard. So we had a place to stay. So that was, you know, I knew from that point on that I wanted to be here, and I did. And um, my friend from Long Beach, his name's Charlie Lyon. 
and he's a great artist. And he got a job with John Mill at Freeline Design painting surfboards. And so I used to hang out at Freeline. I didn't have a job when I moved here. And um, Dave Mel, John's brother, taught me how to polish surfboards. And I started working for John Mel, and he taught me how to build surfboards. I worked for Freeline Design for, you know, six or eight years. And then and through that time, I became a um, contract surfboard builder. So I built boards for people all over town. I worked for Doug Hout and Chuck Stralick at Westcliff Surfboards. Um, I did P- Bob Pearson uh, work. Were you shaving boards? I didn't shape. I didn't want to be a shaper because I didn't want to tell people my boards were good. Right. You know, like I really. Hey, you're coming up also with some heavy competition. Well, yeah, and 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 you know, and and I liked the boards I had. I I right. I, I, I wanted good surfboards, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. have to like tell people they were good. Nowadays, it's way easier to be a, a, a shaper. Back then, uh, you, it was, I, I feel like, and this is just me saying that, there were more glass slippery back then. Now you can ride a square surfboard, and it's totally cool, and and if everyone smiles, I mean, surfing they're riding junk now, in my opinion. You know, it's fun. But I've, and it's you catch waves and it's crowded. But I feel like the surfboards have gone backwards a little mm-hmm. bit, in my opinion. I mean, it's, uh, when you're talking at very high level performance surfing, no. But we're not we're not pushing that anymore um, as an industry, as a culture. Right, because most people are surfing one to two days a week. And yes. they want a board where they can catch waves and it's going to be stable enough where they can do a few cutbacks and feel like they're ripping. And they're not going to do that on a two-inch thick surfboard that is great for Kelly Slater. Right. And it's great for the beginner surfer. Because yeah. when I was a kid, you when you were starting out surfing, you just bought a little thin foil yeah. and struggled. And if you didn't and you wanted to quit a hundred times... Because you weren't catching anything. You weren't catching anything. Yeah. And when you caught them, you pearled. Yeah. And it was just a, you were just, and then eventually you're like, you catch one and then two, and then you're into it and yeah. off you go. So it's, it's harder nowadays. But uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a shaper. But I, I, I started getting sick from building surfboards. I think I it was close to like 3,000 boards or something Eesh. that either sanded or finned or hot coated or uh, glossed or polished or whatever it was we were doing. And, uh, and I got a job um, being a rep. I was working at Freeline, and uh, I was sponsored by Victory Wetsuits, and uh, Larry Block Surfing Products gave me a job. Larry used to drive up from L.A. to sell sex wax, and I was always like, why don't you have a rep? And he's like, I don't know. And he, he gave me an opportunity, and I ran with it. I was stoked. I, I, I was so passionate about surfing at the time. I just wanted to surf and talk surf and design, and so the repping came naturally for me. And I got Victory Wetsuits. Greg Wade was, that was an awesome brand with great people. And then I got some really big breaks. You know, I was the DC guy for a long time and 686 snowboards and Santa Cruz skateboards for almost, and snowboards for 19 years. Wow. How'd I, those happen? How'd those opportunities occur? You know, just like lucky interviews, bright place at the right time. Um, uh, uh, my enthusiasm, I was just so hyped and frothing all the time. I mean, I got into doing contests. I mean, I probably put on like 30 or 40 surf contests here in town. Wow. The victory wetsuit team. Like, we had this crazy team. We were putting on all these contests, and it was super fun. Pete Mel was sponsored by them, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Pete was there. Yeah. There, yeah. I remember there was an iconic old shot of Pete Mel getting barreled at Mavericks. Yeah. And oh, I th- yeah. I think he was in one of his victory suits back then. And like all those, uh, the old Tony Roberts movies, the... Yeah, Pete we was in with uh, Victory. They, they had like mental surfing, mental surfing too. Yeah, we had a good team here in town. It was yep. a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of guys. Uh, T Fox was on Victory wetsuits, by really? the way. Yeah, um, and so it was. Uh, that was a lot of fun. 
I, I got into writing. I wrote for International Surf Magazine for a long time. I had a section in there called TC's Town, you know, and that was fun. I got to interview everybody. And then in the um, late 80s, we started a TV show here in town called Surf TV, which was really cool. And we had um, interviewed all I, – I, I got to bring back those videos and do a best of because it was all local people. Huh. And so, like, you know, 11-year-old 11 year Omar Echeverry and stuff, you know, like funny stuff. Slater, when he came to town, I got like a 19-year-old Slater – Wow. Interview. But um it, it was a lot of fun. And it just so it just kinda grew from that. I kept I, I, I got into surfboard building, kinda started getting bronchitis from not wearing respirators and you know, doing dumb stuff, and then got into sales. And it was awesome. It was, I mean, I'm so happy how that worked out. Yeah. All because of what I loved doing. And I always tell kids these today, I say, you know, do something you love. Like I've had opportunities to get jobs to be in a cubicle. I always say, man, I'm Shamu in the ocean. I am not Shamu in a tank. You put me in a cubicle, I am going to turn gray, shrivel, and die. Yeah. You know, I I just can't do it. I never have. I have never worn a tie for work, and I don't want to. Yeah, you got to know what keeps you alive. Yeah. And and, and you got to cherish that and hold it real close to your heart. And that doesn't mean you you need to do it full time, but uh, we die inside very quickly and... When we don't, when we aren't able to do that thing that keeps us stoked, right. um, you know, and we, uh, you, know, you see some people, unfortunately, it seems like they've they've died a thousand deaths before they finally actually do die because they they didn't hold on to that and protect it, and and sometimes it takes you know disappointing your mom or disappointing your girlfriend and being totally unsure, you know, going out into some quote-unquote career that most people say is not a real career but you know that that's what's keeping you stoked right yeah no i agree you know it's and and i, I kind of have a theory that if you like if you really love something you know you, you you love boats or you love you know skateboarding or surfing or making videos if you can do that as a job in my opinion you are retired you've made it hmm. your your hobby is now your income and there's no better life you're going to have. That's not about how many zeros are in your bank account. It's what you're doing every day. Zeros come. If you love it, you're going to make money doing it. Hmm. That's another thing that I always say, too. If you really love what you do, like if you like selling real estate, you're going to be a freaking billionaire. Yeah, because you, yeah, because you, you because actually they, love that. Yeah, well, you're going to, you know, there's a, a, you know who the writer Neil Gaiman is? He's a real well-known fiction writer. And someone asked him once, uh, why do you write, Neil? And he said, because I'm good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Just do what you're good at, and then yeah. you're going to love it, and then you're going to get better at it, and then you right. have the chance of uh, maybe being the best at it. And, and you know, I have this other philosophy that in my life, every day is Monday. You know, like, it's just, I wake up, it's Monday. I don't even know what day it is. You know, today I went to NHS, they have a pickup. You can go in there and pick up your Santa Cruz skateboards, and it's, they have pickups on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I show up, and they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't know, what day is it? Because every day is Monday. And it's just kind of how I, I look at my life. And if, you're, if your career or your job is your hobby and every day is Monday, you don't even care. I don't care if it's Monday. Mondays don't bother me. I, I like, like what I, I do. I like that. You know? Did you ever feel, uh, did, did you ever want to be a pro or did you ever feel, was that ever a difficult transition from, for you to decide not to pursue that? No, I wasn't, I mean, I, 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 uh, I was probably best at surfing. Yeah. You know, I was pretty deep. I, I, I would say I was a good surfer. I won, con- I won a few contests, you know, like I was into it. And, uh, but I just knew I didn't have it. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if I really, no one made money 
then, you know? So it wasn't about a, a, a money thing. But uh, I just didn't really have those opportunities, you know? I was I was a bro, not a pro. <laughs> like you know? That, yeah. That's, that was what I was. Yeah, yeah, well, and you can excel really well at what you're doing. Um, I had uh, my buddy Matt Myers on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I asked him that same question because he was a local pro and then got an opportunity to be the team manager at Rip Curl. And he said, yeah, there was a real tough time of feeling like maybe I was going backwards or giving up on this dream. But now Matt's killing it. He's so good with right. kids. He's putting on contests. He has all these opportunities to now like hang out with top-level A-grade pro surfers, right. surf some of the best waves around the world in a different position. It's like he, yes. he in a way, he achieved his dream, just not in the way that he expected to for sure and i was in matt's i mean i'm very proud of matt but i also say he's he's in the media more now than he would be if he was surfing right do you know he's he's he is he's killing it and he he could be recruited i mean he's with work curl today but he's an he's an asset to any brand in this industry you know when 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 you know the tm i don't even pay attention you know but when you are at that level of a marketing and management position to where you are also becoming a celebrity because of it you're a valuable asset to a brand yeah you know yeah uh pete mel said that since he became a wsl commentator he gets more people asking him for photos and he's more recognized than he ever was when he was a pro for sure he's on tv now you know And, and 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 it's not just in a wetsuit and from 300 yards away and i could see that and and it, it's good on those guys. You know, I would say that um, the, the, the decision to go from being um, endorsed athlete to being um, industry employee, it's a tough decision to make. And I could see it feeling like you're going backwards, sometimes financially. But you look, if you look at, like, I'm going back to co- industry college. In four years, those guys try hard, and it's their passion, and they love it. And that four-year time of, like, I'm going to go back to school or else I'm going to go to the school of hard knocks and get in this industry and be a TM, work my way up to a management position, be a VP of sales or whatever, work your way up. You're way ahead of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, and I think that, you know, there is, there's clearly something to, uh, you know, how many people uh, become pros and then can't transition out of it. And I think mm-hmm. that largely it's a, a mental trap that people get into. It's a, the, the fear of what you just said, feeling like you're going backwards. You know, you're 16 years old and people are telling you that you're the man, you're getting flown all around the world and you're getting checks and then all of a sudden now, whoa, you got to learn how to manage uh, Google spreadsheets and Absolutely. write a good email and, you know, learn how to, uh, learning how to write, man. I mean, that you, you kind of skipped over that point, but um, did you were you always a good writer or did you pursue that? How did that no. skill because that's that yeah. seems like one of those skills that is so transferable into whatever it is that you want to do. Like, yeah. You know, it's it's your ability to communicate uh your position and it's your ability it's your ability to be persuasive, really. Um was that a a, a skill that you had always, you know, become naturally to you or how did no. you get into that? I don't know, you know, I don't even know, but I, I how I got into writing. I well I, I always um I, I just well I did some I did some stuff for surfing. I did but um of uh, of uh, gosh darn it, international surf. I forget uh, Zeldo. Zeldo was uh worked in the surf magazine. He worked at surfing, did his own thing, International Surf ISM magazine. So he was an old friend of mine. But when he asked me to do a little thing on Santa Cruz, I did it and it actually turned out pretty good. And I wasn't a writer. 
but I wrote it, and he was like, this is great. Let's do another one. I think I did it on Richard Schmidt, and he had just like gotten third at Sunset or YMA. It was a big contest, and I interviewed Richie, and he had his Oakley blades on, took a picture of him in his backyard. It was pretty classic, and it went over well, so I ended up doing everybody, you know, like the, the Ackers and Barney, and I did Flea and Pete and interviewed everybody when they were at that. It was during that time when Santa Cruz was blowing up. You know, like it, there, every photo was one of those guys throwing tail. They, it was, it was innovative, and it looked cold. And Santa Cruz had a revival in the industry. Yeah, set the stage for people, man. Yeah, Th- that was a a real special time in our town that you were uh, right in the center of. Yeah, it was great. It was really fun to be with. And you know, I, I give, I, I got, man, I really, I trip out on Tony Roberts. You know, Tony um, was so innovative in his photography. And working with, because he's such a good surfer and skateboarder, and working with the surf and skate dudes, but he he had angles and lighting. He he paved the wave for a lot of these guys because it's like snowboarding is an interesting sport, but you're in some canyon in the middle of nowhere. And so, how are they uh, going to see how good you are? Well, it takes photography and video, it takes someone who can be creative in that. And Tony was that guy here in Santa Cruz. He was the one that, you know, made, made it possible. And, uh, and Transworld Surf came around. When did that come around? I don't even know, but it was like a, a time when Santa Cruz surfing and Transworld, it was like a perfect match. Yeah. And uh, Billabong was investing a lot of money in the town, had a great team. And there was things, you know, it was like the perfect storm for Santa Cruz. It was almost going back to what I said about that pie was happening here. You right. know, they were getting up early. Tony was taking the pictures. They had the sponsorship. There was a bunch of these, you know, NorCal dudes that had this vibe, and uh, it was like a gang. Yeah, it was. Everyone different. had nicknames. Yeah, yeah. There was a bunch of nicknames, and that was kind of new. And it was just, it was, it was. Uh, I don't. You can't bottle that. That's right. what it was. It was that. It was pure. It was innocent. It was a hundred percent true and real. And it was a time that you know I don't know if Santa Cruz will ever have that again. Personally. Yeah. Well, what you said about it not being bottled and and it not being curated and people uh in a way just doing it and not being super conscious of what they even were doing made it magnetic you know you have a guy like flea who's doing 360 airs and surfing 60 foot waves and then you know winning the contest and throwing a huge party at the dream in and everyone's just like whoa this is wild like does he even know what he's doing but it hasn't really been done yet before right uh and I think that there was a lot of that, you know, and those guys kind of kind of feeding off of each other. You know, and also at the same exact time, you had some people like Vince Collier and Joey Thomas that were roping these dudes back in. Hmm. You know, like it was almost like, um, it, you know, they were all doing dumb stuff. They were partying and having a good time. But at the same time, Vince would bitch slap every one of them if they stepped out of line and put them right back in their place. You know, and I think every single one of those guys would agree that um, you you never got a bigger head than Vince. Mm. You know, it's almost how it was. And I feel like that kept everybody in check a little bit. Yeah. And, and it was fun. Yeah, well, there's a level. Um, I mean, it's definitely just kind of continued to recede and recede as far as localism and the just intensity of being in the water. But I do think that there is a level of... Um, when you have a level of intensity and a little bit of fear when you are surfing, um, there is it, it provides this energy to do your best in front of everyone mm-hmm. because it's not just 
all good and hey we're cruising woo have have a fun wave high five it's like no you better be ripping as hard as you fucking can right in front of your peers because right now is the time we got you know, tony roberts and then dave nelson like it was it was real intense man i mean i remember even just growing up like being 12 years old going out to the murph bar when Nelly was shooting and you know he had Corey Hansen with the Flash and the Slave and oh, there are yeah. all these guys who were you know the pros and it, I would just paddle out and just paddle in because I would just be like wait oh this is way too right. intense I'm not gonna catch a wave out here right and, and you th- have the ability to you sh- you should be out there catching waves but right. it's intense yeah but no there's a g- it, it it's good like I I cherish those kinds of memories and that kind of intensity and um. You know, I think that, uh, you know, what, what I was going back to about just it, the curation of the times, like, and how you, you can't bottle something like that. I wonder if with social media, kids become too curated and become too self-aware too early of what they're doing. You know, like, right. as you said, you know, there are these these kinds of pillars of being a professional athlete. You got to have the look. You got to have the ability. Um, you know, you got to have the, the work ethic. But you almost don't want to be too aware of what you're doing otherwise it becomes cookie cutter yeah I, yeah i see that and i don't know i, I there's just uh i i look back on on santa cruz with fond memories and man it's a good time it's also so hard like we mentioned the social media thing it's right. like and you know like i remember legendary waves right i remember some watching some like you know richie at swift street or during that one no chord classic richie caught a wave at first peak that he rode past the hook you know and um i've never seen that and i've been around here almost 40 years i've never seen that but you lose that in social media Mm. i feel like because i'm I'm on social media and i feel like i see like some insane cloud break 40 footer nathan fletcher pulling into some bomb well that is gnarlier than richie's wave at pleasure point but I didn't. I never. I didn't see that other stuff. It, I, I, it was what was legendary was in my backyard mm. back then, and I feel like that's lost a little bit of its luster because of the fact that there's always something gnarly you're going to see on your Facebook that day. Right. You know, it's just weird. And so it's a different time. I feel like it's a little. Uh, it's just changed right. so much. And how about uh, skateboarding? You've also. I mean, you own a, a skate shop. Yes. Seeing uh, Santa Cruz skateboards. Um, and, and, you know, NHS, Derby Skate Park, walk me through, um, a little bit of the, the history and growth of skateboarding in Santa Cruz. Um, well, I mean, gosh, it really goes back to those, uh, Doug Howe and uh, Jay Sherman and Richard Novak and, um, you know, what those guys created here in this town and, and what they, how they, you know, Santa Cruz skateboards as a brand is bigger than Santa Cruz the city like people i've had customers walk in the store from australia they didn't even know santa cruz was a town it's crazy you know like they just thought it was a brand and there's plenty of santa cruz towns in this world but they didn't know that it was actually the the town and and what they and I, kudos to a couple of surfers who could create that when people travel from halfway across the world and and they've created something that's bigger how'd they create that you know, it was all by accident. Novak and um, and how Novak had always been a passionate surfer and surfboard builder, and uh, Doug Hout, obviously a passionate surfboard and surfboard builder, Hall of Fame surfboard shaper, and um, Jay Sherman, who was one of Novak's Novak's best friend. So the three of them built surfboards, and they were 
they had the blanks, you know, and so Clark uh, was a friend of Novak's. So Novak was the Clark foam distributor. So if you wanted to build a surfboard, you had to kiss the ring and um, to get the, and then they got into the resin and they had a corner on the resin. So if you lived in Northern California and wanted to build a surfboard, you went through Novak and, um, and they started Santa Cruz surfboards and then they started the Santa Cruz skateboards and they, I mean, it just grew organically, um, unbelievably organically. They started out with wheels and then, uh, they had, well, no, I take it back. They started with the Santa Cruz boards and they had Chicago trucks and some weird wheel. And then they invented the road rider wheel. Novak was out surfing, met a dude who knew about precision bearings. And next thing you know, they got road rider wheels and then they uh, they were putting uh, trackers on them, I think, and and then he met Fausto, who had the stroker truck out of San Francisco. I mean, so it all just kind of it was amazing luck, right? Yeah, and and, and, and who was part of their first team, their initial team? Um, I mean, you you go back to like you know Dwayne Peters, you know, like they had uh, Steve Olson. They had you know some really amazing early guys that um, were punk rock. You know, it's Novak always says he liked his 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 early team because they were like bad dudes you know they were tough and that's where santa cruz really had this like fast music um vibe to it and yeah. which is really cool it was because the, the, those people that's that was their life you know and then you know it just it just kept growing from there and then in the early 80s when you know roscop came out here from ohio with jeff kendall and uh, they moved to the west coast and keith meek came on board you know and then novak and fausto started independent trucks and that was you know, that changed skateboarding independent. I mean, they're the fuck the rest, right? I mean, that's their vibe. They are, they'll happily swear. Right. They'll happily put boobs in an ad. That's independent trucks. And then they started Thrasher Magazine because the LA magazines wouldn't follow the Santa Cruz brands. They wouldn't put ads in editorial. So they're all, screw you guys. We're going to start our own magazine. Who started Thrasher Mag? Fausto and Novak. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And right in Santa Cruz. In Santa Cruz. San Francisco. San I mean, Francisco. That, that, their original meetings yeah. were above the boardroom. That's where they're, you know, they, they concepted it because of the fact that they couldn't get editorial in the current, you know, media system because they weren't an L.A. brand. Holy shit. And, yeah. in, and independent trucks came along right around that same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, for, absolutely. Yeah. And so um, because slalom was big. See, the, the weird thing about skateboarding was when it, when it really started to grow, it wasn't the traditional transition quarter pipe pool skateboarding that we see today. It was running cones and going fast. That's what it was. And it was how fast you could slalom and how fast you could go down a hill. So Fausto from San Francisco, who was a gearhead guy, he built, he worked on sports cars and was into racing motors and stuff. He built the, the, a truck that had suspension in it, had little shock absorbers, so you could corner good on it. And, uh, and Novak was doing his, the same thing. And they heard about each other working on the same truck. There's prototypes from NHS, same idea, two little shock absorbers. Well, during, while they met and decided to do independent, the first independent truck was going to have shocks on it. That's why it was called independent trucks, independent suspension. Well, while they were developing it, dudes figured out that they could skate transition. And, and skateboarding completely changed overnight. It went from straight from going fast to now we're going to ride pools. Wow. Yeah, and was, they were riding independent trucks when that all came around. Stage one. They liked the Bennett truck. They loved the, the, they liked the Thrasher hanger. They liked the Bennett base plate. 
And that's pretty much how it started. They took a Bennett and a Thrasher, I mean, a, a, a Tracker, and they molded them together. Stage one independent. Wow. Yeah. And then from there, it's developed into what it is today. But yeah, that's so, you know, it's, and, and the thing with Novak, he's a really smart businessman. And, um, you know, it's uh, he has so many employees there for 30, 40 years. It's insane, you know, how many people he's employed over the years. And, uh, I've worked for him for a long time, and there's a lot of shakeup in our industry. And I give Novak and uh, NHS a lot of credit. Their employees have been there a long time. They keep employees for a long, long time. And, that's great. And that, that's you know, it credits them to success. And today, with all the brands they have, it's I mean, Mob Group Tape number one. You know, it's currently Santa Cruz. I think is number one right now. Santa Cruz Skateboards. They're unbelievably killing it right now. Um, young, amazing team. And then, uh, you know, it's OJ and Richta, you know, like we can just go down the list. Crux yeah. Trucks. I mean, it's Bullet. I mean, boom, 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 boom. They have so many different things going on. Creature Skateboards. It's crazy. NHS owns Creature. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one of those brands that is uh, unapologetic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, a lot of gore. You know, it's not, yeah. and what's cool is it's, everything has ebbs and flows. You know, Creature right now, I would say is, is uh, you know, it w- there was a Hesh skateboard thing, and right. yeah, they, they were totally perfect at that they moment. Were perfect, yeah. For and the then, hesh. and that's currently skating. You got a little preppy, you know, and right. the, the kids are dressing up a little bit more. But it's it's changing now. Again, there's this whole the '90s are <laughs> yeah. so hot right now in skateboarding. I trip out because in the '90s, you know, I was working in the industry, and dudes wore giant baggy pants and super puffy sh- shoes, and uh, and I was just, like cargos, and I was like, when it, it went away, I'm like, thank God, and and it's. <laughs> Man, you cannot. I mean, I have, I have sixteen-year-old kids who wear like forty-two-inch waist pants. No, just it's cr- back. It's back. Oh Holy yeah, it's shit. back. And they are cranking that belt down, <laughs> and, and, and they, they, they think they're inventing it too. It's so funny. And they wear huge shirts again, and um, they're riding football-shaped skateboards and tiny wheels, and it's like it's just all coming back. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. do, and do the shoes change too? Well, I'm so excited about that because um, the shoe industry, um, it, you know, we've had this great growth in skateboarding, and these athletic brands just screwed the industry, came in and took it, and uh, and and that and remember the sponsorship, you know, because the big the it's a, it's a tough call because the big guys are going to make the Olympics cool, you know, and make that a big deal. But you know, this there used to be you went to a skateboard shop to get skateboard shoes because they didn't have distribution; they weren't in. Macy's, right. you know, and so you went to a skateboard shop if you wanted to look like a skateboarder. Well, it's not the case anymore. Right, you go to Famous Footwear and they got Vans and everything in there, you know. Now, so if you so want who to, are the big guys? It was Nike, Vans, uh, currently, Adidas. And currently today, yeah, uh, Nike, Vans, Adidas, Converse, you know, pretty much. And then, it, and as far as the industry would go, I, I, Vans, you know, it's, I mean, I, they're in the industry, but I don't really call. It's weird. It's a weird brand. It's like Levi's, huh? Is Levi's a skate brand? Well, they have a skate team. Right. But no. Um, so, Lakai, I feel like is making a good, doing a good job in skateboarding. Soltex coming back right now, and um, I, I feel with this resurgence in design, DC's had success with reissuing shoes. You know, like DC's not been around that long, but now they're reissuing shoes. Older, like the big puffy yeah, shoes again. Yeah, the big again? puffy one, the links and different shoes. You know that um, the, that they've had with. Um, you know, success over the years. And, um, and that's cool because if, if skateboarding has a retro skateboard look, that means you got to buy the skateboard brands because Nike ain't going to do it. You huh. know, 
I mean, they they're they're already with their blazers and so forth. Yeah. But I think I feel like that's a good push. That's that's a good plus for skateboarding to have um, shoe, skateboard shoes that were unique at the time be cool again. Yeah, it's it's weird to me that skaters uh, would go back and forth with something as um, important as shoes. Like shoes are, you know, you you probably don't see that with like runners. You know, like in the running world, they're just figuring out the most high performance shoe that they can wear that's going to make them go the fastest. Right. Uh, skating, you know, I can see baggy pants versus tighter pants, big shirt, small shirt. Like that doesn't really matter. But I would think that you would have figured out, like, okay, we need this much padding. And this is the shoe. Like there was a time too where, like, I remember there was like when I was maybe like 15 or something like that, I was everyone was getting little Vans shoes. That had no. Oh yeah. There was there was terrible. <laughs> like yeah. you you would do one ollie and your shoe would be ruined. Yeah. And no, like I, wait, these things are cool. I got one pair. And I was like, these things are bullshit. Yeah. How'd they just sell me on this? No, Cody Chapman's feet are. He he was a diehard original Vans skateboarder. I mean I mean they're great shoes. Like go to a frat party or something, they look great. But if you're a, a, a if you are a serious skateboarder, they're probably the worst thing for your feet. Yeah. What you know, what are the what were the shoes called? Well, they, they have, just all of their original, uh, all their originals. Now they do have a um, the, a, the like a pro skate yeah. series, more foot, more foam, sure. you know, and them stuff. But it's just like don't be. And unfortunately, I feel like you know they're killing people's feet, right? Because there's no them, padding. No. Yeah. And if you have an take, arch, take a twelve foot fall, right? Barefoot. Yeah, it's really a bummer. So, but uh, again, um, those big padded shoes with airbags. Remember the airbags? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. you know, yeah. Airbags are coming back. You know? No and, way. Oh yeah. No, it's yeah. Wow, yeah. so out of the well, loop. And what's good about it to me is is that um, that's good marketing, right? Whether or not they sell in the skate shop, it's going to make people's eyes see that it's a skateboard brand that's promoting footwear, and um, and hopefully it'll give cut a little bit of that pie and give it back to the, the, the skateboard industry. And you'll see brands that you know, like, you know, it's um, I, you know, like DVS or something that had some success in skateboarding. Well, they had a bunch of big puffy shoes, that, you know, that would be primed to come back. Yeah, you know, if, if that's the look. What do you think starts those shifts and the ebbs and flows? You know, like, and it, it even changes on more of the macro scale where sometimes. Uh, Ramps will be in. Vert skating is cool, and then it's, it flows to street, and then yeah. ebbs back back to ramps. And you've yeah. been in it long enough to see how those shift. Do you think that it's one influential person that you know? It's it so weird. Creates a kind of domino effect, or is it just this per, like butterfly effect that no one can ever really draw it back to? It, yeah, I kind of a great example would be downhill skateboarding. Like that was, there was four or five years ago. I had like packs of kids coming looking for sliding gloves and slide wheels and and crickets now, crickets. Not and with downhill skateboarding in particular, I think they all just wrecked. Huh. You know because it's it's not if it's when. Yeah. When you decide you're gonna go sliding around corners at forty miles an hour, it's not if. There's you're going down. Yeah. And um, so I think that that's uh, you've a couple of those and you're just like I'm hanging up my downhill later hat, going yeah. back to the skate park. So, but it's just weird. I think some of that has to do with it. Marketing, you know, when stuff's like uh, mega, um, the mega ramps a great example. You know, when they first when Danny Way started first doing that stuff, it was all over the magazines, all over the internet. X Games is doing it like it was blowing up. Well, now no one cares. Hmm. You know, I think it's just kind of one of those things that kind of comes and goes, and so. But he always goes back to the basics every time. Mm. They'll, they'll push the envelope. Always comes back to the basics. What are the basics? Skateboarding. 
surfing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's like the wave pool thing. Sure, that's that's really cool, but it, it's going to go away. Yeah. You know, I think. I, 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 not that I hope. If there's fewer people coming to the coast, but there's still more people surfing, hey, I'm all for that. Yeah, I don't think that'll happen, though. Yeah. I think that it's just... Uh, you know, uh, Yvonne Schnarr, the owner of Patagonia, was interviewed about uh, wave pools, and he s- compared it to indoor rock climbing gyms. Right. Yeah. 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 Th- there's a place for it. If you want to figure out a route, if you want to get better, sure, you can do that, but sure as shit ain't Yosemite. No. And, but it, you know what's going to happen to it, though, is you're going to get some prince in Saudi Arabia who's going to build pipeline. <laughs> like, just watch. I'm serious. <laughs> Drop in the bucket. For sure. They're going to be like, see that one oil drill rig over there? Oh, yeah. All the money from that, build the wave pool. Dude, Dubai. It's going to yeah, happen it's, it's in gonna Dubai be, for No, sure. I guarantee you. Some, There's the snow park in Dubai. Some billionaire oligarch that robs somebody of billions of dollars <laughs> is just going to make the most insane wave park ever seen. Yeah. And it won't be hard. Yeah. There'll and, be pipeline made out of yeah. oil. Yeah, and <laughs> Slater will be there. You yeah, know? it's gonna, it's gonna, you'll see. It's oh, gonna yeah. happen, and that's just what happens. And then, and then we'll, we'll go back, and we'll go away, and you know, there'll be cobwebs, the abandoned giant wave in Dubai. They'll talk about it, you know, twenty years from now. But yeah, you know, another ebb and flow uh, in board sports is uh, uh, how audacious you are, and and how. Um, like in in the eighties, for example, you look at ski snowboarding. It was all real bright colors. It was like I'm here and I'm gonna, I'm doing it. I'm doing it huge. Whereas now you look like it's you know a little more. It's coming back it's, there too. It's coming back there too. Yes. I'm behind the times. Yeah, no, I it's crazy. Of- <laughs> it is nuts. Like, yeah, yeah. Snow sports. I mean, that's it, it, listen. There's always guys who wear head to toe black. Right. You know? There's always the man in black. But if you're a kid and you want to be recognized, ski fashion has gone really pretty progressive. You know, it, the kids, by the way, I don't know if you see, you, I don't know if you know this, but like kids don't snowboard anymore. Kids ski. Old guys snowboard. I did not know that. Yes. I'm yeah. so out of it. Yeah. So the kids are all ski now. Yeah. Well, they ride two snowboards. Huh. Each one, the, the, each ski is just a skinny, soft snowboard. Right. Because the, the skis are so thick now, right? Yeah, they, they go, can, man, they can go fly the across the, oh yeah. Yeah. No. And they can, they, and they can create speed. Like if you fall on a snowboard in powder, it's like, you, I've cried. Oh yeah. I've literally like given up and said, I'm just going <laughs> to die out here. Like over it. It's enough no. to yeah. cur- curse the gods. Oh yeah. No, I've, I've, it's like as bad as trying to paddle out on a big day at ocean beach. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've like, cried doing that too. Not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> Done. No, I've, I've got, I went on a bounds of sugar, but one time I landed in like this quicksand, 20 foot diva powder. And I, I just, nobody cared. No one, no one missed me. Yeah. No one heard me. You're just trying to do a sit up of your life. <laughs> yeah. Come so, on, please. Yeah. No, I, no. I learned to do these flips. I was like just throwing myself upside down and yeah. just like tumbled out of it. it. Took me like two hours. But so the kids are all skiing and they have, you know, this funky fashion and, you know, bandanas and like, you know, it, it, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Hmm. I, you know, it's, um, I was the, the and, and again, their kids are going to snowboard. Hmm. You know, that's what's going to happen. Because you don't think it's a function thing? You know, it's a function thing, but, um, it's, it's, it's skiing to me. It just looks unnatural. And I've always said this. If you were to run across the floor in your socks, you would not slide like you're on skis. Yeah. You're going to slide like you're riding a skateboard. I guarantee it. 
I've done it. I've, I've, I did, I've, it's really awkward to slide across in your socks on a slippery wood floor like you're skiing. It's a great example. Yeah. I tried skiing once. It was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm like, I'm going to tear up both of my knees right now. Yeah, and yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not knocking skiers like they're fantastic athletes and more power to them. But um, but you really naturally like to slide sideways. Yeah, and and I and I just it came natural to me to slide sideways. I I only skied one day in my life. Maybe an interesting interview is uh, with an athletic doctor in Tahoe to mm. see how the injuries shift as the trends shift because you know it, it, skiers are getting different injuries than snowboarders. They're yeah. probably tearing up a different part of their knee. Probably yeah, exactly. Taking different kinds of spills. Yeah, yeah. Snowboarding, you have a lot of arm and like shoulder, collarbone, you know, head injury type stuff. But being that your feet are both strapped onto the board like they are, you don't tend to usually have as many lower leg injuries as huh. you do with skiing. But yeah, they're both dangerous. Period. Huh. But yeah, it's it's the problem with snowboarding is um you, you know having those poles and being able to um. You know, uh, ski like cross country ski with your skis create momentum. Right, really makes it easier to get around on the hill. Have you been getting really into snowboarding? Are you doing? A lot I love of trips? snowboarding. Yeah, yeah I've, I've snowboarding to me. Um, and I laughed because when I worked at Freeline, we were the first Burton snowboard dealer in California, and uh, there was two people that came and got snowboards from us. One was Steve Ambiel, who was a f- fantastic photographer, first one of the first photographers at Mavericks. Um, he would go up to Tahoe. And Joel Gomez, who started Sessions Snowboard Clothing, huh. he would rent them and go to Tahoe. And uh, we laughed. We're like, what these idiots? It's like wintertime. There's a northwest swell a block down the street. And they're driving, I don't even know where, to hike some mountain in the snow. Like, I thought they were idiots. Yeah. Um, and But then when I started snowboarding, it was like surfing in, when there's no crowds. Yeah, yeah, which is really cool. Full day of powder. Yeah, yeah, and a good powder day. Wow. Oh, yeah. And Special. so, and I had a real. I, I, I have great snowboarding friends. You know, I was uh, a Santa Cruz snowboard rep for um, like oh, almost eighteen, nineteen years in Tahoe, and so I made a lot of great Tahoe friends. And Tahoe is an amazing place. Love Tahoe. It's great. And uh, so snowboarding's always and I've traveled and, and done it, and um, I collect snowboards. I have a, a real fun snowboard collection, which is really cool. And I collected skateboards for a long time, and they got so expensive. You know, it got trendy to collect them. So I started looking for other things, and I got into snowboards. And I have some really fun old snowboards I've been yeah. able to collect, yeah. And so where do you have a uh, season pass? I don't. Well, actually, you know, I'm going to get a, a spring pass to Mount Bachelor. Nice. Yeah, my daughter moved to Bend, Oregon. So uh, they have a very reasonable spring pass so you can ski, and they have a late spring. I hear there. Bend's amazing. I, ben, I bought a home in Bend. You did? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Amazing. I did. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter's renting it for my wife and I, but uh, I, Ben, I, I got to shh, don't tell anybody. All right. Yeah. No, it's, no, it's, 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 yeah. it's you and me here, yeah, man. Don't worry. Shh, don't spread the word. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It's really a fun place. It's a great vibe. It's super healthy. Um, it's on the, you know, it's a high desert. So the weather's very unique. They get like 300 days of sun there, you know, and you don't think that in Oregon. But because it's east of the Cascades, the moisture all drops on the Pacific Coast and then the Cascades. And so on that side of the mountain, it's drier. Right. There's good fishing there too, right? Some of the best fishing in the world. A lot of fly fishing there. Yeah. And it's been casting and trolling on the lakes for different stuff. And um, there's bull trout in the Deschutes River. The Deschutes is a beautiful river. And Ben has cool, there's a wave there, you know, Uh, it's getting crowded, you know, but there's, there's guys surfing every day. 
and uh, and it's it's funny, you know. You see Lopez like out there surfing and stuff. Yeah, it's, no, it's he's he's someone I've never met him, but I really want to get him on the podcast. He's someone who, from afar, seems like he's made a transition very gracefully. Yeah, you know, we we've been talking this whole conversation about you know ways that people can um, just move gracefully and with stoke through life and not get caught in you know, resentment or bitterness or, you know, getting caught in the past or, you know, feeling like they're moving down in their career. And, you know, he seems like someone who has been able to kind of grow spiritually, just like as a person that you would want to be like, you know, sure. because he, like, yeah. how many people like TC, all right, you're going to be the man at pipeline. You're going to get any way you want. You're going to have a house right on the beach there you're going to be treated like loyalty. All right, now leave. Yeah, right. Willfully leave into a new sport that you're not going to be, you yeah. know, praised for nearly as much. Like, damn, that's well, cool. It goes back to what I was saying about snowboarding is that he, um, if, you know, there's days on, a, when you're on a, when you have a good day and it's a powder day and you have the right equipment, you do a turn. If you close your eyes, it's, you know, sunset beach bottom turn. It's the same feeling on yeah. a good day. Exactly. You know, and you do a, a big heel t- heel turn and put leverage into it and push. It's a big roundhouse on a giant shoulder. It's it's the same vibe. And f- so for me, when people talk about you know, wow, how could you do that? I get it. I I I know why Lopez went to bend. He that's it's the feeling, you know. And and there's a lot of it's a windy uh, bachelor's a windy uh, mountain. It gets a lot of wind lips. Well, wind lips are mother's nature frozen wave. And you can slash those Do things. Do a big old layback. No, that it's, thing. no, it's. Yeah, I'm telling you, that feeling, it's awesome when you when you push hard on a, on a edge of a snowboard and lay into a good turn and load up that camber. It, there's nothing like it. And so I, yeah, it's beautiful. And like I said, he got in there at a good time. Real estate's not as cheap now as it was. Right. You know, there's there's some amazing stories I've heard up there, but you know, people are leaving California because of the cost of living. Bend has, to me, um, uh, uh, that 80s Santa Cruz vibe, a sense of community, a sense of adventure, uh, uh, spirit, uh, friendliness, cleanliness. Um, it just has that vibe. And, um, and it's, we've, we've lost that here in Santa Cruz a little bit, I feel like, through the uh, people have kind of drawn their drapes a little bit here. Mm. You know, I kind of feel like it's, I mean that I still love this town and I, I say that all the time, you know, like to me, it's still paradise, but you know, using that drape analogy might be the best way to look at it is it's just not, it's changed, you know, dude, I dress up like Santa Claus, uh, every year and I will, uh, knock on some people's houses around the neighborhood and deliver them cookies. Uh, it's weird. Some people will open their drapes up a little bit and I'm not sure if they're going to come out with a shotgun. It's like I, I feel they feel so invaded having someone just show up at their doorstep unannounced. There's a comedian who made, made a joke that, that even just calling someone now before texting him is like showing up on their doorstep unannounced. Yeah. yeah. Like people have this kind of guard with like, wait, right. what? Huh? Who are you? What's what's right. going on? And man, it's it, it on a enjoyment of life level. People really suffer when they don't feel that kind of group cohesion, community. And um uh, on a practical level, too, man. If your power goes out and you don't have batteries, who are you going to call? 
and your neighbors, well, for man. For sure, yeah. I mean, I, I heard a, a real sad stat recently of like just this massive amount of, of Americans don't have one person who they consider a close friend. I forget the mm-hmm. exact stat, but it was like, it was mind blowing of just, man, what a bummer to be able to, to, to not have someone who you can call upon. And I think that, uh, you know, that, that's something that we don't really look at as a, a commodity that we value, and, and, and we should, really, because it's it's intangible, but, uh, you know, when shit hits the fan, who are you going to call? And and well, even just, and, and shit hits life. the fan, it, it is life, and, yeah. and having a solid group of friends, you know, people that you can uh, can hit up, people that are positive influences in your life, those are the ones that are going to, um, they're going to, you know, there, there's a... People always say you're the, you're the you're the median of the five people you surround yourself with most, right? Well, and that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Now, now everyone has. I have sixteen hundred followers and friends right. on Facebook. You know, I have so many friends. Well, no, you have no friends. Yeah, they don't care about you. If you unplugged your Facebook, nobody would call and be like, "Bro, are you okay?" You know, nobody yeah. would. Whereas in the old days, see, when I, I'm lucky, when I grew up, the phone was connected to the house. Yeah. So when you left the house, you were unconnected. And so what did you do? Well, we caught lizards and stuff. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, there was nothing else to do. I wasn't going to Snapchat 40 bros. Yeah. I had to go hang out with one of my friends, and we went and did stuff, got our Schwinn Stingray, and we pedaled around. And, yeah. and we've lost that. So it is true. I don't think people have as many close friends as they do. Now it's, it's turned into uh, quantity over quality. Yeah. In life, I think, with a lot of people. That's a good and, way to put it. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you're Instagram famous, but um, if something really goes bad and the shit hits the fan, no one cares. You know? And so it's it's kind of sad. Yeah. And, and it, you know, I, I got to say something about Instagram, but a while back, or social media a while back, a friend of mine posted kind of something down and out, and I actually reached out. And uh, I'm glad I did. You know? Like, so in a way, I would have never known that my friend was down and out, but... It, you know, I helped him out. He, was, he had to move out of his house. He had a bad situation. I helped him move out. I got his stuff. I, I stored some stuff for him. But I wouldn't have known that without seeing the little reach out on there. Yeah. So there is something. No, there's absolutely know. benefits. Yeah. But, uh, and I think, uh, you know, I was really lucky um, in that I grew up in a, you know, here in Santa Cruz and had some rad friends that we all were able to kind of motivate each other you know a lot of them are filmmakers kyle boothman for Mm -hmm. example he's he's one of the biggest influences in my life man growing Mm -hmm. up and uh he was making those get rad movies and that was our tony roberts yes really yeah i mean i i would we would go down to the hook we'd go to the harbor mouth and surf as hard as we could and boothman would be there on the jacks filming and uh i I think that um and then he would you know show these movies at the rio and 500 people would show up um and yeah i I think that that kind of stuff isn't celebrated nearly as much as it it should it's like the the you know like our muscles have fascia right it's what keeps it all together and i think there are people in our town who are those who are that fascia you know, right. and usually they're understated. They're not the ones who are who have the huge social media followings. They're not the ones that are you know celebrated for the things that the United States celebrates people for. But they're the ones that are you know calling their buddy when they're down and out. They're the ones that are you know celebrating their friends and uh, yes, yes. And what also each, he pushing each other up, pulling each other up. He's a prime example you know? of the um, of what I said earlier about the, um, the the pie. Yeah, you know, and 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 people want to be around people like that. 
You know, Kyle's a, a, a great example of somebody who took his passion and made it a job, you know, and, and now he's, you know, uh, been getting more work. Yeah. You know, and, totally. being, and, 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 and doing opening, well. And he's opened up to new worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he he's someone who cut his Achilles tendon in a surf contest when he was 14 years old. One of the doctor, doctors like, hey, you're not going to be able to surf for a few months, but hey, luckily you didn't cut all, all the way through picked up a video camera, started making these movies of his friends. And now, you know, he's getting calls from Vice to go to West Africa and do documentaries about Ebola. Right. And I think that that's another, you know, just kind of coming back to some of the themes of this conversation, learning skills that are transferable is so important. And as you said, you know, writing, like you can now write for any publication that you want, and that's going to make your life more rich. It's going to get you into these new situations where all of a sudden you, you know, you gain a new group of friends, right? And that enriches your life. And you, you know, you're, ne- you're up in Bend, Oregon. Like you have, you have community in surfing, skating, snowboarding, yeah. fishing. Yeah, fishing. fishing. Oh, man. You know, that's a big passion. That's of mine. a big passion of yours. Yeah. Are you, have you been uh, doing the fly fishing? Fly fishing no, up in you Bend? know, I'm terrible at fly fishing. Um, Novak's a big fly fisherman and wants me to go to Alaska with him, but um, I'm, I'm ocean is my thing. Mm. I've had a slip in the harbor for probably, geez, close to 20, 25 years, and uh, my wife likes it, which is great. She's great, great at fishing. Wow, she can fish, and she loves her equipment and takes care of it. Like She, she has custom reels and rods. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really God, fun. You married so, a good woman. Yeah, That's no. Well, I'll tell you a great story. I had a 22-foot Boston whaler with a little center console, and um, my wife liked fishing. We'd go fishing all the time, and one day... Um, she looks at me and she goes, I'm over it. She goes, I am tired of dressing up like I'm going snowboarding to go fishing with you. <laughs> she goes, buy a boat with a cabin or I quit. Now she said, so I went home that night and I looked on the internet and sure, I found this boat down on Redondo Beach and I was like, this is it. And we went down there and we bought it. And, uh, and you know, and so she supports that. But fishing, you know, the um, being on the water to me. Is I mean, it's been my whole life. I grew up on it. I swam on a swim team. My family were all swimmers. I spent my first like 13 years of my life swimming, traveling to swim meets, and then Ooh. surfing took over my life. And then fishing, you know, was a natural for it. I, I started fishing when I was very young, and there's just something about the water, you know. What it's do you just, fish for? Uh, I well, I my 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 love is albacore tuna outside the bay here in. Uh, when do they come through? It should have been last couple months, but we've had a terrible few years. Um, we had some bluefin tuna in the bay this year, which was really interesting during salmon season. We never get that, but albacore has been bad. We've had not really good season. Normally, they're 30 to 70 miles out, so it takes some effort to go out and do it, and we have you know weather out there. So you know, it's not, it's not an easy fishery to be passionate about, but when it happens, it's so exhilarating, so rewarding because it's, um, it's just not something that happens. You know, you can go catch a lingcod or a halibut here all the time, but the to bring in the tuna is really special, and yeah. and when it happens, it's just like it it is, you know, like getting a perfect day surfing or something. It's really amazing. But I love halibut fishing, love salmon fishing. Um, that's probably sea bass. You know, it's I'm not really into the rockfish. It's it, that's like easy. You know, it's yeah. You know, it's, it's but this year I caught a 35 pound halibut, my biggest uh, I've ever caught in the bay. Sick. Yeah, it was, was really. It a fight? Yeah, and you know, you know, it actually came up pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't magic, say that. It, imagine <laughs> it, it came up like the magic carpet, and yeah. when I saw it, my eyes popped out of my head. I couldn't believe it. You know, I've I've tried for um, you know, uh, twenty or t- uh, probably over twenty five years. I've tried to catch that fish, and so 
It was, it was really special. That's and you, it's just a, it's luck. Fishing's luck, you know, yeah. but it was a lucky day and uh, that was this season. So, but fishing's great. I love tinkering on motor stuff. You know, I've always been a tinkerer. And so the boat to me, fishing, catching fish is just like the icing. I like my tackle. I like my boat. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I race cars, you know, I'm, I, so I like motor stuff. I've always, I've always liked that stuff. Mm. So I've been getting into spear fishing over the last few years yeah, with it's Tyler Fox. Yeah. It felt like I found a new room in my house. Awesome. Because yeah. I've been surfing my whole life and mm -hmm. I never bothered to look down. Yeah. I was always looking straight ahead on the wave. Mm -hmm. And the second I dove down, I'm like, holy shit, I, this feels like I am in an underwater battle on acid. It's weird. Down it's there. weird people, down there. Uh, yeah, know, the man. People, um, surfing is, it's weird to say it, one dimensional when you're on top like that. Like you, you don't even think about what the bottom looks like or what is laying on the bottom or what swims under you. you There's know, a lot of fish that swim under you. A lot of fish. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you see the bait come, you know, by and it's breaking the surface, like what's chasing the bait, what's eating the bait, what's eating, what's eating the bait, you know, like it's really a unique thing. It's fun. Oh, well, I've said a lot, I, I say this a lot, but man, uh, there's a reason why fishermen, spear fishermen, hunters are much more um, embedded environmentalists and conservationists right. than surfers because they actually see all of the wildlife that's mm -hmm. occurring. You know, someone like you, you want to catch a big tuna, you're going to figure out what all the, the patterns are, what a bait ball means, you know, what a healthy ecosystem looks like. Whereas right. surfers, like, we, we care about swell direction, wind, what the reef looks like, right. you know, we're, and, and, you know, there's a beauty to that as well. Um, which is, you know, I, I feel like the, a few of the most fun aspects of just my life over the last couple of years have been learning how to actually track swells and getting into that mm -hmm. whole next level of, okay, how can I place my chips on this spot a week out and really bet that I'm going to score amazing waves. And that's, it, it, it is a bit of a science. Um, oh yeah. And that's actually largely from becoming, um, getting to be friends with, with Greg Long. Cause he's just a tactician when it comes to that kind of stuff. And then, um, spearfishing, I'm still relatively new to it, but just the last few years doing it, uh, a bunch with, with Tyler Fox. And I got a buddy named Gunner that does a lot. And like just doing new shit that I suck at and, and getting from that beginner mm -hmm. to intermediate level is, uh, it's real fun, man. It, it's, uh, helping me just kind of stay stoked on it. Well, and it's cool to see someone embrace something that you suck at. It's hard I think to people, do. People are it's, scared it's, it's to great, do stuff. It's, it's yeah. easy to do it in theory. It's harder when your ego gets involved. You know, I, at the skate shop, uh, when a family comes in and they're buying little Junior the first skateboard, I look at the parents and I say to them, Tony Hawk sucked the first day he stood on a skateboard. He was terrible. And I look at the kid and I go, he was terrible. So I just practice. Yeah. Fall down, get up, brush yourself off. You'll be just like him. Yeah. You know, and so you got to, everybody sucks when they start. It's just how yeah. life is, you know. And it's kind of, it's an antidote to, to depression. Well, I, you know, when I worked in HS because uh, I had a surf background, um, I was like the surf guy. And so anybody who came to town, I took them surfing. And that was a combination of pro skateboarders, pro snowboarders, um, people who were, you know, were, were pro. They all thought they were going to rip and they sucked, like just wet cat sucked. 
and it was always so fun how yeah. how they reacted. You know, the the reaction was amazing. Like some guys would just quit and throw the board in the sand and kick it and stuff and swear at it. And some people would laugh and and tr- do it again and just pearl and be totally stoked. And it was so it was really fun to be that guy and to see the reactions of people who are fluent in one aspect of board riding and and it's it's really interesting because skateboarders are, can snowboard. Super good crossover. Um, I took Cody Chapman up, and his first day he was carving down the mountain. And I got to the, we took him straight to the top, and I said, "Cody, go straight and power slide." And he did it. He went straight, perfect heel power slide. Stopped. Do it again. And and he just we we I, every turn, I just correlated it to a skate move, and and skateboarders who who understand it pick right up on it. It's amazing. You can't do that with surfing. Yeah, you know, it's like you can't just go power slide. You know, it's, it doesn't work. Yeah, well, it's the time in between even being able to catch a wave. Like if you if you want to do more than just go straight in white water and have someone push you into like sure pro skater pro snowboarder, I could take you out surfing, push you into a white water. You'd probably get up on your first try and ride the wave. But to actually make it to that next level where you're learning how to do cutbacks and slashes, right. like that takes a lot of sitting and waiting around oh, so there yeah. it, that's a big aspect of mm-hmm. uh, you know so, some people just don't have the patience for it it's impossible i mean wakeboarding five days you're jumping the wake yeah you know snowboarding five days you're going down a black diamond surfing five days you haven't even caught a wave yet yep you know like it's a whole different ball game and you so, s- and you see certain sur- surfers that will get into other sur- sports that take patience like fishing yeah, right. And it's fun. The fish thing's fun because, you know, I see Rat Boy out there and, you know, it's just like rock hold. They're there's, super into it. Yeah, there's a bunch of dudes that are really into it. Uh, you'd be amazed how many um, folks that are deep in our surf community fish and have boats or have had boats or, you know, are getting boats. But it's a natural thing. In Hawaii, same thing. You're a waterman. You know, it's different. You don't even, like, fishing to me was natural because I just wanted to be on the water. And like with rat, it's a perfect thing to be a surfer because you fish when the waves are bad. Rat's boat's right next to mine. When the swell's good, the boat's in the harbor. And when it's not good, he's out catching fish. You know, it's a pretty it's a pretty sweet setup if you're like a surf guy to, yeah. to live that lifestyle. Because generally, the fishing slows down. The bigger the waves, the worse the fishing. Yeah, I mean, that's the perfect thing about yeah, fishing I, and as spear right. fishing too. Yeah, it's like, it, oh shit, it's dead flat. Let's Epic go. Conditions exactly. Yeah, we're yeah. On no, it. right. And then, it, but it's pumping. We're not. We're going surfing. So yeah. it's it's like the best crossover if surfing's your passion because there's fishing so great. Because one for one, it's meditative. To me, being on the boat, I love turning my boat off. It's a diesel, so it's a little noisy. Turning it off, just drifting out there. There's just nothing like it. And and what I've seen out there last. Last spring, um, I took some friends out. They wanted to go whale watching. My friend Tim Zolinak, he runs a whale charter boat out of Monterey. So I call him and I go, hey, what are you seeing? And there was a whole school of, um, of the, uh, what, the, the, the blues. Uh, yeah, the blues. Blues out there. And uh, so he gave me the numbers, and we hauled out across the bay. They were off Point Pinos, and we found them. And we started following them, and it was like you know, four of them, and these two big ones broke off. And blue whales, they're huge. I mean, it's a, it's a freaking submarine. It's a yeah. nuclear submarine. People could be inside that thing. I don't even know. It might not even be real. It might Biggest be, animal on Earth. Yes, gigantic. So um, so we saw them, and then they went under. And so I had my wife and my wife's friend and um, her daughter, who's in her, like, she's like 30 years old. 
I said, so you know what, you guys, they're underwater, but I'm going to go about a mile down here, and I'm going to turn the boat off, and we're going to see if they pop up down there. So we went down about a mile and turned the boat off, and we're standing around in the boat, and we're just chatting, and uh, all of a sudden, I mean, literally like five feet in front of the boat, over a hundred foot. I don't know how many Dude, multiple so tens yeah. of tons this thing was. It was gigantic. Everybody screams, but what we didn't realize at that moment was the other one was coming under the boat perpendicular. And I looked over, and it was the craziest thought in my head is I wanted to jump and grab it because it was literally like one feet under the water coming from underneath our boat. Well, I didn't even think twice, but the girls were terrified that it was going to flip the boat because it was it's it's bigger than the boat. My boat's 30 feet long. This boy was well over 100 feet long and 20 feet wide or something. I mean, it was just gigantic, um, which it didn't happen. It was swam right by, but it was so amazing. You know, I uh, was down in Mexico at... Um Gosh, what's the spot called? I'll think of it. I was, my brother had his wedding down there, um, south of Cabo. Uh, anyway, they have the um, what are the whales called down there that they have the uh, whale sharks mm. and whale oh, sharks right. down there that you can go dive with. Um, Azul, I'll think of it. Anyway, they take you out there in the boats and you you get snorkel gear on and the juveniles will hang out in the bay there. Mm-hmm. The juveniles yep. are still twenty feet long. Right. And they got these spots on the top of them. And you can dive down and they're attracted to the bubbles. So you mm. have a 20 foot long whale, totally harmless, mm-hmm. swim right up to you. And dude, it feel it felt like a psychedelic experience. It yeah. like it's some just strange shift in your perception of yourself in relation to the world. Because oh, you're yeah. in relation to this animal that's so much bigger t- than you and so ancient. They've been around for way longer than you have. You know, they're, they're whale skeletons that were around since the dinosaurs. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and yeah. and they've, they've, they're just in their world that's mm-hmm. actually bigger than your world. Planet Earth is mostly water. And they're just cruising around, eating fish. Yeah. And the whale sharks are totally harmless. And they have these spots on the top of them that uh, scientists will identify the whale sharks using the same technology that uh, astronomers will use to map constellations. Oh, so they can, they can map the they spots They can map the them, spots, right? just like, like yeah. astronomers will map like the stars. They can map the fins. You yeah. know? They know the cuts and the fins and stuff. Dude, and and we, we went out and they gave us a little uh, tutorial on the animal before we did. And they said... Uh, if you can get video of these things mating, uh, we'll give you a ten thousand dollar prize because we haven't caught video of these animals mating. I mean, they're just wow. so reclusive. That's another just radical thing about fishing, man. It's just how much is undiscovered. You just don't know. I have I've I've caught some toothy, spiny tooth fish that I didn't even know what the heck they were. You know, like you you can. The ocean is very bizarre, yeah. and and you know we know so little. It's so weird. We know so we know probably more about Mars than we do the ocean. We, we know, know we actually yeah. know that's a, that's a Neil deGrasse Tyson you know line yeah. that he loves saying is that we know more about the surface of Mars than we do about the deep oceans. Right? Yeah, no, for sure. And it's it's really cool. And that's again, um, I love crabbing. 
Mm. You know, with like the Dungeness crab season just that shit's this fun. weekend. Yeah, yeah it's, and I really love it, and I love it because you know you throw this gear overboard and you leave for a couple of days and you go back and you have to find it. Yep. In the treasure hunt, I mean, you really you're out looking for Blackbeard's wreck. You know, you're trying to find your gear, and and a storm will hit because it's a wintertime sport, and the gear will move around, and you know, it's just it's um it's Wild West type stuff. Yeah. And, and to me, that's a, a real fun aspect. Um, you know, it's I give all my fish away. You know, that's, that's how I am with fishing and I, I'm very conservative in what I keep and, um, very, I think, you know, I put more, way more back. We go tuna fishing. I cut everybody off early cause you know, it's, um, like I said, I'm a, I have a conservative aspect and I give, I put more back in way more, um, in, in, through, uh, spending right. of my hobby than what I take, you know, the, whether it's paying for my slip or mechanics to work on my boat or my tackle or my licenses or whatever else it is. That's I, a cool thing about fishing and hunting that, you know, the, there's obviously still work to be done, but it's pretty cool that we've been able to save a lot of these species. And we have wildlife biologists and oceanographers that are looking at these species from a really sober perspective. And they're able to say, all right, this is how much, this is how much you can take this year. Um, you're going to pay this amount of money and it's going to go to habitat restoration. It's going to go to us ensuring that this resource is going to be here for generations to come. And I always wonder if, if that something like that would work with surfing, you know, if, uh, it, you know, we, cause we have our issues, you know, there's plastic pollution. Oh, That's yeah. surfers are on the front lines of that issue. Um, you know, if, Hey, you're going to go surf uh, Kuda Beach. You're going to go surf Changu. You're going to go surf one of these um, you know, great waves uh, out in Indonesia, and they got a big issue. Um, you got to pay 20 bucks, and this is going to go to help them to solve the problem. Right. I, you know, it's, it's so sad because um, I feel like the, the, the world has sort of, I, and I say this generally, has kind of turned a blind eye to it. Mm. You know, like it's, if, if, if every country had a conscious effort to reduce plastics and waste and would manage how they recycle, um, the world would be such a better place. But we have people, I mean, America, you know, we're supposed to be the most sophisticated country and we have people in government who are deregulating and, and making it worse and, 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 and going after industries that, um, are archaic and it's about making it money. And I think that's and and when we are the leaders and we're treating the world like that, how can you blame a country like Indonesia for not maintaining their trash problem when we, who should be leading by example, are going backwards? Well, and a lot of it are it, you know, these are U.S. Uh, corporations that are going into countries that they know full well have no way of dealing with the plastic once they get the product there once they get their little single you know single serve shampoo container once they get their plastic coke bottle in there they know that they do not have the infrastructure set up to deal with this absolutely it's all just going to go into the river so i I do think that a huge amount of it with their cigarettes yeah that you know the same thing you know it's like they it's, uh, it's 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 unfortunate and again um it's allowed and I feel like that's the, um, hopefully the, the next couple of generations are going to stand up and say, I'm not going to take it anymore because it's literally going to take some sort of a revolt for the young people. This, cause I, I, you know, I'm going to generalize again about the Republican party. I feel like they don't give a rat's ass about their grandkids. <laughs> I'm dead serious. It's like, I'm going to take it all with me. And when I die, I don't give a fuck about anybody. I'm just going to ruin it while I'm here. 
and I and, and I know there's a few good people in that party, but I feel like that's and and because it's a boys club and they all feel that way, we have strength in numbers. Yeah, well, I think that um, I think that we. Hold it. Did we turn this into politics? I love it. Dude, you're, you're so fun to podcast with because you just, you're, you just say yes and. I don't need to interview you or stay on topic. I need. I want to do more shows like this, dude. I'm having a freaking blast. Oh, yeah. You're, 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 we're heating up. This is, this is, no, I, I have a lot of pol- political people on this podcast. You ready to go? I'm ready. <laughs> I think that uh, a hu- the conversation, people should think about what are the costs that a a corporation is forcing society to bear and a corporation is an externality machine right so there is let's say uh, Santa Cruz skateboards right they're they're a corporation and they have a certain amount of externalities these are fairly small externalities it's not a a corporation that is uh, let's say Oh, I don't know, drilling in the Arctic Circle, like a right, corporation yeah. like Exxon Mobil. I mean, the, there are something like twenty companies, extractive fuel companies, that are responsible for a massive amount of the pollution that we're seeing on planet Earth. And these, you know, pollution—it's not just an arbitrary term. This is like, hey, no, my kid has asthma. Um, you know, lung disease, cancer. How many people know know someone mm-hmm. with cancer, right? An epidemic right now? An epidemic, right? And a lot of these companies don't want to have to pay for those negative externalities that they're forcing society to bear. So the mechanism to incorporate some of those externalities, i.e., hey, Coca-Cola, stop being assholes and making a product that you know most people have no way to deal with. And even if you are going to recycle it, it's just going to go on a shipping container over to Malaysia where they have different plastic standards than we do here, and it's just going to end up getting burned. Anyway, hey, we're going to force you to incorporate some of these costs. That is the mechanism of the government, right? Uh, And in certain cases, banning products. You know, you look at a, well, a product like DDT or lead, we've banned those products. And I think most people are pretty pretty darn happy about that. I would that, hope right? so. Right. Are, so what... But we still use lead in fishing. We do. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. Bullets too. <laughs> they actually but lead bullets. Uh, there are certain There's, regulations yeah, that they're are happening on that. those. Um, but I think... And, and look, I think that... Um, I get, I, I do have certain tendencies, conservative tendencies, where I don't want Big Brother in my backyard making some blanket law that's going to affect my family and me and, and and doesn't pertain to my local community. But when it comes to, just if we're looking at environmental policy, um, I think that what the Republican Party has done through a lot of these lobbying groups is defunded certain regulatory agencies, gotten politicians in place where they're just going to gut the EPA, mm-hmm. you know, and these regulate regulatory agencies that are were put in place by people like us to ensure that we are we and our environment are uh, are maintained and maintained for for future generations. So yeah, I, th- I think it's real it's real sad when you uh, 
you have a lot of this sneaky background stuff and a lot of the issues are less sexy than, you know, what's going on on Instagram. So people just don't really think about it. Um, but yeah, you got to make it sexy and you got to, uh, you know, as, as I'm trying to do, well, ce- feel, cel- celebrate the motherfuckers. <laughs> well, I feel like people are trying to, um, there's, I feel like there's a lot of awareness and people are trying to make a change and, and good people are really working hard and volunteering time to make awareness. It's about awareness. You know, when at the boardroom recently we had a, a plastic bag ban here in Santa Cruz and we had a charge for a paper bag. And when it first happened, people bitched and they griped and, and you know, I'm, I'm Gavin blaming Gavin Newsom or something. You know what I mean? It was always like something. No one says a word about it anymore. No one cares. And there's no more plastic bags. I used to be so, I used to drive me nuts. I'd, I'd see these bags tumbleweeding down 41st Avenue. It was like the plastic tumbleweeds. And, and the hook is at the end of the street. And it was just terrible. It always would I'd, I'd be sad. No one cares now. Do you think if we said there's not going to be a coal industry, anyone would care? Right. Nobody would care except for the crooked, corrupt pieces of crap that are making money of it. Yeah. You know? And I feel like there's a point in time, like right now in, in politics, they don't care if animals go extinct. It's sad, man. It's so bad that we as a people have just think that that's okay. Yeah, it comes down to, to values. It comes down to um, what kind of world you see you know if you value growth and dominance over all else then hoorah let's uh turn the whole world into one big paved parking lot but if you value accountability if you value you know a lot of the things that we were talking about earlier like things that you can't put a price on in the market like how much is a species worth really how much is it worth right. for oh, your oh, they, for your kid to? They've done studies on it. They know what it, what species are worth. They you can actually put a financial number on that. I have this theory that companies like Amazon, that doesn't pay taxes because they build buildings and employ people. I think Amazon shouldn't pay taxes because they're saving species, and and buying open space and um, putting uh, solar panels and wind energy up. That's what they should be rewarded for. And, yeah, and, or protecting and, that Amazon. That what's that rainforest that? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, oh, they're, maybe named, that one. they're named right. after. Right, or um, or promoting like um, uh, you know, e- uh, eating uh, not as much beef or something, you know, that that is eating up that Amazon forest. So I I feel like there's a real uh, problem, and I I hope I feel like I I I really think that these future generations coming up behind us. There's going to be some butt kickers coming up. Well, it's up. starting to be real. You yeah. Know, the second your power gets turned off, well, all of a sudden yeah. you think, whoa, huh, this is affecting me now, me in the first world. Huh? How, is it, how does this whole system work? Why is it that PG&E paid out $11 million in bonuses the same year that they yeah. went bankrupt? That's yeah, right. strange. How does this really work? And, mm. and uh, you know, I think that... Um, yeah, once it starts to affect you, you start to pay attention more. And there has been a, cons- I, you know, one one thing that is important that uh, I've been learning a lot, about a lot since doing the Motherfuck Awards is that there has been a concerted effort by industry to shift the conversation 
to make you think, hey, this is all your fault. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a life philosophy, taking accountability for your actions, uh, for the way that you treat people, for the products that you use, fuck yeah. Because I think that you know, taking accountability will it gives you more meaning in your life, really. And it's just a, a better way to, more empowered way to go through the world. But, you know, there's a, there's a story of uh, the during the first Earth Day, um, there was this ad that went up on national TV, and it's called the Crying Indian ad. Oh, yeah, you know I know about that the Crying Indian. Oh, of course, the Indian, Indian yep. chief with a tear on the yep. pile of trash. And the big pile I of saw trash, it right? And it said uh, that messed with me, right? So it said, "People start pollution. Mm. People can stop it." Right. So what most people don't know about that ad is that it was created by an organization called Keep America Beautiful, which had primarily. Um, was primarily backed by Coca-Cola and some of the largest plastic polluters today. And a lot of, there's a, um, a documentary called uh, Gone Tomorrow by Heather Rogers that um, talked about that ad as one of America's first greenwashing fronts to try and push the conversation to make it seem like, hey, this is all your fault. And us, the industry, we're going to promote recycling but we're sure as hell not going to change the product right. that we're using. Um, it, there was a, it, it was right around the same time that Vermont was putting in place a, um, there would be a tax on, gosh, let me see if I can get this right. It was, it was a Vermont tax on some kind of reusable bottle. It was, it was right when the plastic industry mm-hmm. was, was coming Taxing in, but people for trying to be clean. Yeah. So it, I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I don't want to get into it cause I don't know the exact specifics of it, but I should know this. Um, but, but the whole story is that this was one of the first greenwashing campaigns to put the onus onto the people. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is what, what, uh, corporate keep, America the profits. has still has done forever you know, because mm-hmm. they, they'll do anything except reduce their profits. And, right. you know, and uh, I think that understanding that there has been a concerted effort and there have been PR campaigns to put that onus and that responsibility on people when really, um, if you're creating a product that has such a big negative external impact on society, you should take responsible for that, and and people should call you out for that. I agree. Um, well, and, well, well, here's a question about Coca Cola. Why aren't Coca Cola bottles were uh, biodegradable? Because plastic's cheap. I mean, it's like why 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 are I have a problem here locally because I I get my coffee from Coffeetopia. I like the, I like it. Trap Street local nice guys. They have a biodegradable top on their coffee. And plastic that paper cup. I'm like, I feel not terrible because I'm an anti-plastic person. But I go to Verve, who I would assume would be an anti-plastic company. No, they have plastic tops on their coffee cups. But hmm. I wonder, like, who? And don't get me wrong, Verve has good product. I'm not not bad. No, no, bagging no we're not bagging on it. No, but what, I'm wondering, the, like, what, when there is an option. Why not go for it? Yeah. Well, biodegradable uh, single-use stuff is strange because uh, it needs to be heated at a temperature to actually biodegrade that most landfills don't have. Mm. So uh, a lot of you know people will say, eh, having a biodegradable cup... Where it's not always the end does, of the It's all. not... Yeah, it's not the best solution because... Um, 
so I shouldn't you're feel well it, about that. You shouldn't feel great. You should okay. just bring your own cup. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a cup. cup. I'll, I'm, 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 I'm for now on. Yeah. I no, thought I was doing good. No, I'm going to give you, I, I, I'm going to get you a motherfucker awards <laughs> cup. No, I think that, uh, it, you know, it comes down to a philosophy of zero waste. And right. that is a philosophy that, that people are starting to adopt. Um, you know, people want durable products that are going to last them a really long time rather than just having something that they can for use sure. for a couple weeks and then it's going to wear out and suck. Well, I, I'm just starting right now to do a program through my businesses where I'm doing, you know, glass, glassware and yep. uh, um, stainless water bottles and to try to promote, you know, multi-use um, drinking stuff and yep. because I think it's important for sure. And but I did the biodegradable thing. Okay, now I'm better. I just thought assumed maybe that's bad advertising for them to say that. But I assumed biodegradable meant biodegradable. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. It's still not great. So you it'll be there a thousand years from now. Yeah, unless you heat it up in a yeah. special kind of landfill. Well, it's cool to see changes. You know, like the straw thing's cool. You know, you know like imagine how many straws have been thrown away in the last fifty years. That's um, probably go around the moon fifty times. But um, it's it's good to see like things changing. I feel bad. I feel the current administration is almost saying, you know, who cares? Right. Yeah. It, it is a very. Uh, it's a short term thinking. Yeah, it's really bizarre, and it's 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 bizarre because I feel we should be the stewards of the planet, and um, and that should always be our message. Uh, because we've screwed up so bad in the past, we you know the, the rivers that catch fire and stuff. You know that's in, somewhere in Europe, but I mean now our rivers were so polluted, and we're finally getting somewhere. And now clean water is uh, affected. And, yeah, well, you know, I, I, what I hope and what I see happening, even just in the people that I think listen to my podcast, a lot of them they identify with uh, the natural world. Well, they want to protect it, mm-hmm. but they don't identify with being a greenie uh, and being that type of of environmentalist that people think of when they close their eyes and think of environmentalist. Right. So right. I think that what we need to to turn the tide and and it is turning man. I mean you a quarter of California's power is now run on solar. Um you and and you see a lot of these products coming forward now where you don't need to sacrifice um, quality for uh, environmental sustainability. But I think that you're, you're start, starting to get new constituencies that are coming in and they're all starting to vote, hopefully, you know, right. vote around um, the natural world. You know, mm-hmm. and, and for me, one of these groups that uh, I've kind of fallen into over the last few years are hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. most of them are, they have, they're, you would think of a, the hunter group as conservative, but Motherfucker, those guys are environmentalists. Absolutely. And they really oh, yeah. care about mm-hmm. public space. They care about species management. Um, and, and these these are values that uh, I, I certainly hold, man. I mean, when I think about the moments in my life where I have learned most about myself, um, where I have felt, where I have grown the most in, in my character it's been out on the water, man. It's mm-hmm. been out in these natural places. So absolutely, I, yeah. In, in reflection to those spaces, I have I have those spaces to thank, right? So how are we going to thank them? I, I think that we thank them through policy and, like and, and protection and stewardship. Yeah. yeah. Well, going back to the hunters, uh, uh, the hunters who play by the rules and are in the lotteries and um, you know it's and are fanatic about it. Those are the assets that we have in the hunting community. It's the poachers. Um, and that goes with the ocean. Like uh, what's depleting the ocean is illegal fishing. 
you know, and, and countries that turn a blind eye to it because there's corruption. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Where it's like, my, my, I have some hunting friends. If you want to, do not go mess around with those guys if you're on a piece of property and you're not supposed to be there or you're taking something that you shouldn't because they will protect that yeah. land. So I do agree with that. And unfortunately, it's just there's bad apples and, um, and not enough, uh, but you do not you, enough you, money to enforce keeping things straight, right? But I do think that uh, y- you have uh, a- at least a culture around it. Uh, around you know, in Santa Cruz, that is one real beautiful thing that we have here. Is like, hey, this is nice stuff. Let's keep it. Yeah. You well, know? hunting a lot of times is something that is um is generational and yep. and taught down, you know, and there's a respect level of the, the weaponry. Uh, that's involved, and and it's, it's, it's there's lessons and life lessons involved with that. That you you become you take pride. Yeah, and and those people are the ones that are going to save um, the assets of that industry. So it's really tough. And as we continue to move further and further and further out, you know, the wildfires and so forth having problems because people are moving into places that you know there's wildlife, and then there's um, also the chance of fire. So. You know, it's, it's um we're, we're putting a little bit of strain on that stuff now. Yeah. With the hunting aspect. Yeah. But another thing about um, going to that solar question or a, a thing you said about how many. Yeah, a, cor- a cor- Yeah, a quarter of solar. Yeah. I mean, a, a quarter of California is powered on solar. Well, it's crazy um, to think. Imagine if a quarter of California had storage for that solar. You know, it's because you know we're having these problems with PG&E off the grid, and you know, it's um. It, imagine if we had better technology to create the storage for the solar that the panels can create that's you know a little more environmentally friendly and and if unfortunately if only our federal government embraced it and would reward corporations for becoming better at it yeah well what we're looking to do is uh take back a representative democracy because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that think like you and me, uh, and I think that it just comes back to really taking it, and we're going to see what happens, you know, in the national election, and paying attention to local elections, and asking your yeah. your, your local politicians, what do you think about these issues? Because if you're going to be a single I- issue voter, it has to be around the environment. Well, because, and you have to vote. Yeah, I, I it drives me nuts to hear people want to talk about stuff and then they don't vote. Yeah, you know, because really, that ultimately, your voice is your vote. Yeah, you know, and and, when, and if you wanted to, and and that and that voice um, is strong, but you know, California, we're pretty. It's uh, the West Coast. We in the East Coast, we pretty much know how people feel and how they're going to vote for the most part. It's and the, unfortunately, I think the electoral college, I mean, it was pre-internet for one, like yeah. the stupidest well, thing on the planet. To you know, when you have the. the the same amount of votes in California is like Montana. You know, it's just so backwards. Yeah. Um, and the times have changed. Information, that was all set up like pre-information. And, then, you know, the Second Amendment, um, I think there should be a right to bear arms, but it should be limited. You know, you shouldn't be able to have bazookas and stuff. You know, like when that when that amendment was amended, guys were stuffing a rod down a rifle with a ball covered in paper and putting gunpowder in there, and it wasn't about... I just, yeah, you know, I just wish that people that uh, are all about fucking the natural world and saying, hey, we should drill until we can't drill anymore. We should, 
be burning plastics, we should be fracking our whole country, um, would admit that they see high cancer rates as an acceptable um, repercussion of that. And I wish that people who think that there should not be any background checks, if you want to go get a semi-automatic weapon, I wish that they would just come out and say, hey, I think that it's acceptable that more kids died in school shootings last year than uh, soldiers died on duty. Right. You know yeah. that stat? Yeah. That fucking yeah. crazy stat. Oh, yeah. oh, more, yeah. more, yeah. more kids died in school shootings last year <laughs> yeah. than sole active duty mm-hmm. soldiers died. Well, because we use the smart weapons now. You know, it's yeah. different. And the ones who are dying are like from roadside bombs. Yeah. You no, know, it's it's really a crazy time. I I completely agree. Um, I don't think I don't know the answer. You know, because there's we we, it's like, um, we're it's it's like almost taking back plastic. We've created so much plastic. Where do you even start? We've created so many guns. Where would you where would you even start being able to create a control? Well, you start in your backyard and you make a group. You know, we'll we'll round out this podcast by saying that uh, you know friends are important, and having your little group amplifies your voice. Yeah, uh, and life. It's not a practice run. So if you're going to go for it and there's an issue that you care about, fucking do it and do it with your friends and do it with your unique style because no one should be able to tell you the way that you have to communicate and that you, oh, you got to, you know, be an environmentalist within these little cookie cutter parameters and, yo, you can't say that word and this word. No, do whatever the fuck you want and stand Mm -hmm. up for it and be unapologetic. Um, Margaret Mead once said, never doubt that a small group of committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Hmm. And I'll, uh, and, and we'll leave you with this one. I think that, um, you know, get out and vote, get your, your group out there. And, you know, as, as you're doing, one thing that I really enjoy about this conversation is that you TC are, you're living your values, man. You're, you're, you're helping kids out. You're getting some powder, <laughs> you're getting your you're getting your fishing and uh there's a I'll, I'll we'll we'll leave you with this final quote but uh alexander schnitzky wow I think of, yeah he's he's a writer said the battle between good and evil lies not between states armies or political parties but between every human heart hmm it's a good one it is a good one and i th- i think yeah. that if you you know we life's rough man and you know, we it's easy to get caught up in depression, get caught up in our own heads and just start, you know, we're our own worst enemies. But to get out there and do things that stoke you out and then feel that spillover effect and go out and do, some, you know, help out some uh, some species that you care about or, you know, do something that feels good for your community. And then that continues to perpetuate and i I see i I see you doing that i see you taking a conscious effort man it's been it's it's super rad to um have seen it and and you know have been able to come over to your house and when i was a grom and (laughs) skate the ramp skate the ramp yeah i won that skate contest you did win a skate yeah you won a backyard skate contest we had yeah that's good stuff no the ramp was fun and to add to a couple things just to finish off the night is a you know i i feel like people should really think when they make decisions on how it's going to affect their grandkids you know, whether that's going to be a decision you're going to make in politics or work or life, like think about two generations down the road, you know, and how it's going to affect them. And then the other thing I would say is smile and wave. 
you know, is, we're here for such, such, it's such a treat to be on this planet. And uh, if, if you've made it and you're here, you're one of the lucky ones. And uh, enjoy it, but also smile. You know, I feel like, it's, it, you, you know, it's. Uh, I was so blessed to grow up in the 80s when people talked. Like we, like <laughs> yeah. we said earlier, yeah. you know, and so smile and, uh, you know, and, and embrace your community because we're so lucky to have it. Yeah. And so, and I'm lucky to be here and, and I, I look forward to being here a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, hey man, um, you just start, you got a podcast going. Where can people listen to it? Uh, the Off the Lip Radio Show. We've done 360 shows now, six years running here, and um, we're uh, on TuneIn, iTunes, Sirius. I mean, we're all we're anywhere a podcast can go. There's every show on OffTheLipRadioShow.com. Sweet. Yeah. And where can people get in touch with you personally? What's the best way? Um, I am on Instagram at TC from SC and uh, Facebook as well. And um, I'm at the Santa Cruz Boardroom in Santa Cruz Apparel on 41st Avenue. So that's uh, that's my current you know, the office and, uh, and love being, uh, a part of the, the, the community of board riding here in the town. Nice thing about the boardroom, if you, if you haven't been there, it's also a museum. And so we have, you know, amazing art and artifacts. So that the surfboards, skateboards and snowboards and art on display there. So it's, it's a fun place. TC, you are a pillar of our community and I really <laughs> enjoyed this conversation, Thanks, my man. Yeah. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's our show. If you dug it, reach out to TC on Instagram. I'm going to play out the song called The Mill by the Great Apes. If you're a musician and you want to send some music in to have it played at the end of the show, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. Info at kyle.surf is also where you can send those voice memos. Wherever you are in the world right now, just bust out your phone, give me some details about it, and email it to info at kyle.surf. Thank you again to everyone who donates to this project, pro, project podcast, whatever it is, experiment, uh, on Patreon. Head over to kyle.surf on Patreon to uh, donate. And thank you also to Santa Cruz Medicinals for sponsoring each and every one of these shows. I will see you all at the Motherfucker Awards.
yourself to dust! Oh!